This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide episode 345. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening and thank you for downloading once again. Really great to have you with us and welcome to to our first time listeners and we hope you enjoy the show and become regular listeners and tell all your friends as well. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. This week, has the folded phone fallen at the first hurdle? Samsung's dealing with Galaxy Fold issues. MG Motors is the latest car company to release an electric vehicle. And how 3D scans can help restore the fire-ravaged Notre Dame Cathedral. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at LG C9 OLED TV, the Nokia 8.1 smartphone, and Rode has released the world's smallest and lightest wireless microphone system. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. First up, we're going to chat about Samsung's new Galaxy Fold, uh, and unfortunately, it's not all good news. Uh, Samsung just last week sent out the device to influencers, YouTubers, tech reviewers, tech journalists uh, ahead of its release in the US this week. It's supposed to be out in a few days, and there was uh, various videos produced and stories posted online and various things about uh, unboxings and first impressions and all of those things, and it was all generally fairly positive. But then after a couple of days, disaster struck. Some of these devices were starting to act up, and some of these reviewers were reporting issues. Now, there was a couple of things that happened here. We should explain that there were some journalists, some of the the influencers, were, the problem was their, of their own doing, uh, and... We'll explain a little bit more of that in a minute, but there was also some issues with the device itself, and in, in particular, the folding device, the, the the screen itself, which is kind of the heart of this new device. A phone is not a new device, but a folding phone is a new device, so the technology around that, uh, the screen involved, that's the, that's the new technology involved here, and... This hasn't got off to the best start for Samsung, unfortunately. And let's talk about first what was the issue with some of the some of these influencers and what they did. Uh, a, a lot of phone companies. We should preface this by saying a lot of phones, uh, in particular Oppo and some other some other brands, uh, they they have a pre-installed screen protector on their devices. So other companies also have a thin plastic film on their screens which are there to protect the device out of the box and uh, that's the first thing that I take off the off the phone. I don't want any plastic on it. I know Samsung phones have plastic all around the edges and on the screen and on the back. I rip all of that off before uh, I start using the, the device. Uh, other, other brands do the same. Uh, Oppo, I mentioned them in particular because they have a, a really good screen protector, a thicker screen protector that's kind of what you would buy in store to keep your screen safe from scratches and, and other things. And it too is removable. And, and I, I have a, I love to have a clear screen. I don't like to have a screen protector. And with those Oppo phones, I have removed that screen protector. 
Okay, so what does this have to do with the Galaxy Fold, I hear you ask? Well, there is a layer on the Galaxy Fold that appears to look like a screen protector. And some of these journalists and reviewers, I think there was three or four of them, thought, okay, well, this, is, this must be a protector. I'm going to remove it. Not knowing that that was actually a critical layer on the screen and removing that layer basically just ruined the device. The screen stopped working. There, there's Have a look on our story. There's some uh, pictures and, and reports and tweets from uh, some of these journalists and what their phone looked like afterwards. And removing that, that layer just wrecked the phone. It broke the phone. Now, someone else tweeted an image. I think Samsung even, uh, they, they made a statement, which we'll read out in a moment. But even later, Samsung, uh, someone pointed out that there was a warning label for some customers who pre-ordered the device that said that the screen, do not remove this protective layer uh, It will or do anything else to it, it could damage the phone. And unfortunately for these early these early reviewers, uh, this this warning was not in on their device. I don't know whether they had the retail version of the product or what they had, but there was no explicit warning to say do not take off that protective layer, as there is apparently in other versions of the phone. So what's what's going to have to happen here? If if the launch is is on still on track and that, that's that that's in question now, will they still release the device at the end of this week or will they hold back? What there needs to be is a massive warning, big bright orange sticker to say do not remove the top layer, which if it was in these other in the version that was given to these early early reviewers, it would have avoided half of these problems. There's an image from Mark German from Bloomberg who uh, removed that top layer and said that the it's completely broken now. His tweet's embedded on our story. He's actually, there's a photo of the protective layer in his hand that's been removed and it, uh, it totally wrecked the phone. There was another, a woman, uh, Joanna Stern, who also saw this top layer uh, start to come up from the corner. So it looks like if, if any of you have ever put on a screen protector and the corner starts, gets some dirt underneath it and starts to lift up from the corner, that's what's happened to Joanna Stern's version of the Galaxy Fold, which is a real worry. If you're paying, this is a $2,000, $2,000 US dollar device. And if this is going to happen, it's, uh, it's not a good look. Now, Samsung has responded here and said that, here's their statement, I'll read it to you. A limited number of early Galaxy Fold samples were provided to media for review. We have received a few reports regarding the main display on the samples provided. We will thoroughly inspect these units in person to determine the cause of the matter. Separately, a few reviewers reported having removed the top layer of the display, causing damage to the screen. The main display on the Galaxy Fold features a top protective layer, which is part of the display structure designed to protect the screen from unintended scratches. Removing the protective layer or adding adhesives to the main display may cause damage. We will ensure this information is clearly delivered to our customers. 
So that kind of takes us to the other part of this story, though, is that not all the faults were were caused by these reviewers. The problem uh, with the with removing that top layer is obviously, hang on, user error. But in in a couple of other cases, and in particular the Verge, they reported a, a lump forming under the screen, kind of like when you, if ever you've put your own screen protector on, and there's a little bit of dirt or dust underneath, and then there's a little, little lump forms uh, above it. That kind of is what looks like has happened with the Verge's phone. And if you look really clearly, again, I've embedded their tweet. You can see the bottom layer on the hinge where that protective layer ends and when you fold the device there appears to be a tiny little gap between the layers so is this the reason why a little bit of dirt got inside and after a day it actually broke the screen so that little bit of grit or dust or whatever it was not only caused the lump but then a day later there was this massive white line that that centered right on that lump so it, 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 it ruined the display as well so a real crisis that Samsung's facing here, and here here is the the dawn of this new form factor. We're going to see one later this year from Huawei. We'll talk more about that in a second and what they face. But is this the first first impression of a device? And there's a saying: you only get one chance to make a first impression. And in this instance, a lot of people's first impression of this device is poor. It's it's broken. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Samsung responds here. Now, they do have a bit of history in this area and recalling the events of the Note 7 a few years ago and how well they handled that. Granted, it's not as big an issue this time out as the Note 7. The Note 7 had battery issues and phones were catching fire and blowing up. That was uh, it was people's safety was at risk here then, but not here. This, this isn't a safety issue. This is just a technology issue. And I think it's more a communication issue too because the warnings about that top layer needs to be a lot clearer. So we've seen Samsung handle bigger crises than this. And it's, it's going to be – I'm keen to see what their reaction is going to be to this. Will they delay the, rev, the uh, release of the device in the US? And how will it affect us here in Australia? Samsung contacted me before this drama broke out uh, a couple of days before it happened, and said that yes, we'll be seeing you'll be having an early look in late April at the device, with a view to a mid to late May launch. So I don't know whether that still stands, whether we are going to be delayed as a result of this, whether they're going to stop production and, and take a look at the screen. Samsung haven't made any announcements in that area. So we are awaiting that and we will report that on Tech Guide uh, when, if and when we find out any information, if they do say anything about the matter at all. But the folding phone seems to be the what's the, the next form factor for the smartphone. We're going to see the Mate X being released in the coming months. And it is slightly different to the Galaxy Fold. The Galaxy Fold uh, folds like a book. So your main screen is inside the device and protected by the exterior. So um, it, it opens up like a book and shuts like a book inside. The, the main screen is inside. The Huawei Mate X is opposite. So the outside of the device is the screen. So when you want to unfold the device, uh, you you pop it, it, it folds the opposite way that the Galaxy Fold opens so that you get the larger screen. So the screen is constantly exposed. So again, 
what is that going to mean? How durable is this screen? It's it's the outside of the device is or is part of the screen. Like one of the edges of the screen when it's folded is the screen. So how is that going to look? How is that going to cope with day to day use? These are questions that no doubt we'll answer. We'll, that we'll know the answers to when the Mate X from Huawei comes out. And also, I'm keen to get the the uh, Galaxy Fold in my hand and put it through its paces as well. Hopefully, we can do that soon and uh, get back to you about that. But in the meantime. If you want to take a look at that story, uh, check out all those those pictures. Uh, it's pretty interesting. You can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. All righty. There's been a lot said about electric cars in the last few weeks, and MG Motors has become the latest car company to release uh, or unveil, I should say, their first electric vehicle. The uh, EZS, which is an all-electric SUV, has been announced. And the great news is it's coming to Australia and New Zealand next year. So in 2020, there will be yet another electric model on the road. Uh, it's the SUV, a very popular form, type of car. Biggest growth we've seen uh, across the market is in the SUV category. So it's interesting to see that uh, MG are going to be adding to that category. And it, it's the electric version of the popular ZS version, which is already in the Australian market. So it's the EZS, with E, no doubt, short for electric. And uh, the parent company of, of MG Motors is SAIC Motor, which has been one of the, those companies at the forefront of autonomous driving, new energy, and vehicle concept integration. So they're pretty much on the cutting edge of this new technology. But it does add uh, another option for electric vehicles. We've already got the Teslas. We've already got other electric cars from uh, Hyundai have brought one into the market. We're going to see a lot more. But it, it does play into that story that we spoke about a few weeks ago about Labor's uh, plan uh, or hope that half of electric vehicles sold by 2030 will be electric. Uh, we, we just took a look at some research, actually, just to sort of extend the story into another direction here. We There was some research released by Electric, which is a research company, and they this was research released late last year, so it's pretty new. And the question was, when will electric cars outsell internal combustion engine cars, which is ICE for short. So ICE cars, internal combustion engine cars. When will electric cars outsell internal combustion engine cars? And the short answer to that research was 2040. So 2030 is the target that, that Labor has for hopes for Australia, where uh, electric cars and ICE cars will be equal and on the verge of outselling. They're hoping that happens in 2030, but according to this research, they're saying, and this is American research, and let's face it, that's where most of the electric cars are made. There are a lot of cars made there and overseas. No cars are made in Australia anymore, unfortunately, so we need to rely on these international markets. So this is pretty reliable information based on on their info. So they're saying 2040 is when, and there's a lot of factors in play here. There's got to be uh, you know, price reductions and the uh, ease of charging. So a customer's not going to buy an electric car unless they know it's really easy to charge and they've got plenty of places to charge it as well. At the moment, that's not the case. Unless you buy a Tesla, unless you buy uh, these expensive cars, 
even now, if 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 five uh, percent of cars were electric, there'd be queues of cars waiting at these communal charging centres. Uh, so that that's an issue now as well. So zero point two percent of cars sold in Australia at the moment are electric. So you know, fast forward ten years, if that's fifty percent. We need a lot more places to charge the car, and a customer's not going to buy a car unless they know they can easily and quickly charge that vehicle. So once that, hopefully, that once the needle moves in that area, then I'm hoping that electric vehicle sales skyrocket. But according to this research, it's going to take ten years longer than what Labor predicts, 2040. Uh, I hope they make this target. I honestly do. I drive an electric car myself, so I'm a, I'm a convert, uh, and I'd love for other people to do the same. But we need to get a few of our ducks in a row before we can get even close to that target by 2030. This research suggests it's we're probably 10 years too early, but, hey, who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Hopefully, the things all point in the right direction and get us towards that target. If you want to read more about that research as well as the MG car, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Well, weren't we shocked to see the beautiful Notre Dame Cathedral in flames last week? I was just in Paris a couple of weeks ago, and I had the chance to admire this beautiful place up close. And wasn't I one of the people horrified to see uh, it nearly nearly destroyed by fire? Uh, it, it, it was just incredible to see this beautiful landmark uh, being gutted by flames. But luckily, uh, the the most of the artifacts and, and and artworks and everything was saved. As was most of the building. There's a lot of damage to the building. The wooden roof is gone, uh, among other things. So there's quite a hefty repair bill uh, that that is that needs to be met there, uh, and the job itself is going to take some time as well. There's been a lot of people and companies and very generous people coming forward and willing to donate money to restore the church to its former glory, but uh, the silver lining to this story is something that we came across, the, is the fact that there are actually highly detailed, hyper-accurate 3D scans that were created uh, inside and outside the Notre Dame Cathedral. So it's, it's like uh, someone, an art historian, actually went inside with these amazing laser scanners and took these amazingly detailed scans of the interior and exterior of the church. So super accurate, uh, this 850-year-old building. Uh, and now those very scans could uh, are our best hope of restoring the church to its former glory. Uh, what happened, this art historian, uh, and it's documented, there's a video that I've embedded on our Tech Guide story, uh, an art historian named Andrew Tallon, who went inside and the National Geographic filmed a video and did a story about it, and he used laser scanners to see exactly how, not, not just the size, the shape and colour of everything, but how it was actually built. That's how detailed these scans are. So he's got like billions of points of data with millimetre accuracy that can give uh, this information. So when the restoration begins, they've got these incredible, the incredibly detailed 3D scans to work off. But there is other, there was another 3D virtualization of Notre Dame created as well for a computer game. So uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, which is a, a title from uh, Ubisoft Montreal, 
also took two years to create this 3D virtualization of Notre Dame, which is actually central a central part of Assassin's Creed Unity. If anyone has ever played Assassin's Creed, you know that your main character, apart from being an assassin, is actually pretty athletic and can climb up and over buildings, and you can actually climb all over Notre Dame. You can even climb, climb the steeple that was sadly destroyed in the fire in this game. That's how detailed it is. And it too could serve as a way, a reference for this restoration if needed. I think what should happen though is that, you know, great news that we've got these scans of Notre Dame. I think though that some other landmarks, let's be proactive and put these and, and gather 3D scans of these other places around the world. God forbid something like this happens in other parts of the world. Uh, we should have these scans in place just in case. Have a library of these scans. Uh, imagine if the Sydney Opera House burned down. You'd want to have the exact specifications and plans to restore that as well and you know the the opera house is is a lot younger than the 850 year old notre dame cathedral but it's kind of the notre dame to to paris is like our relationship with the opera house it's this beautiful landmark building that tourists flock to see just they just like they do in notre dame in paris with, with notre dame so if they could be be proactive perhaps create a program where these scans are done around the world at all these other landmarks i think that would uh that would be a big help as well if you want to read more about that story, uh, very sad that it is, but good news is we do have those 3D scans. You can read all about that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand, and they're issuing a challenge. They're issuing the Orbi Home Wi-Fi Challenge. They uh, Their challenge is if you buy an Orbi Wi-Fi kit and it doesn't give you better home Wi-Fi, you will get your money back. So if they're willing to go that far, they are putting their money where their mouth is. The Orbi Wi-Fi system is designed for any size homes. No more dead zones, no black spots, just better Wi-Fi across the board. In today's modern household, Orbi's tri-band Wi-Fi systems let you stream your favourite movies in 4K and play online games by providing ultra-fast Wi-Fi no matter how many devices are connected. Orbi plugs into your existing modem and is really easy to set up with just a couple of clicks. And not only does it work great, it looks great too and blends into your home's decor. Orbi's the easiest, fastest, most expansive and advanced mesh Wi-Fi network available today. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Alrighty, first up in the reviews is uh, a TV review. We got to spend some time with the new LG C9 OLED TV, and I've got to say, they've made an already excellent product even better. Uh, how, how did they do that? Now, in terms of picture quality and design, you're looking at pretty much the same thing from last year, uh, in slightly different design, but it's still that ultra-thin screen. It's as thick as a $2 coin. 
that screen. And that's thanks to having no backlight. Uh, other TVs need a backlight. OLED doesn't. As a result uh, of not having that backlight, you get these superb black levels, brilliant colour, and this just amazing design, a really thin screen, uh, really good-looking TV. Uh, and in terms of your picture quality, having those excellent blacks and brilliant colours as a, from those blacks, you know you're in, your picture quality is going to look superb. But what the difference is here, the main difference is under the hood. And it, it, it not only with, with the older TV, and, and I've got the older uh, OLED TV, you've got, you've got amazing picture quality already. And the, the TV plays, uh, Blu-rays, 4K movies, free-to-air, and it does a Decent job of upscaling, uh, but what's changed this year is the Alpha 9 Generation 2 Intelligent Processor, which enhances picture quality on the go, depending on what you're watching, and also depending on your viewing conditions. That's the big difference here. So if you uh, maybe have a slightly brighter lounge room, darker lounge room, uh, various content you like to view, you might want to watch YouTube, you've got a lot of old DVDs, you've got various content, the TV on the fly can, can, can give you the best, uh, the, the uh, optimizes that picture quality in real time and, and puts real time improvements in the contrast, the color, uh, the black levels. And just that, that viewing experience is enhanced even further. What they've also done, of course, there's already Dolby Vision HDR on board and also Dolby Atmos. So not only does this TV look good, sounds amazing as well. Uh, yeah, you probably get a better result with a soundbar, uh, as you would with any TV. But what you're getting here with Atmos is these incredible sounds coming from all around the room uh, and all originating from that, that razor-thin TV in front of you, which is – that's remarkable in itself so pretty cool there now we did we had a, a bit of a test drive of the the c9 oled and we, we tried a couple of things just to test out the the generation to the alpha 9 gen 2 processor which utilizes artificial intelligence so ai deep learning is what it, it looks at so uh, it uses this to examine what you're viewing examining your viewing conditions uh, as well so what we tried first up is to test out the optimizing, the picture optimization, the picture upscaling with an older DVD. And it was a DVD of that uh, really underrated James Cameron film, The Abyss. It's a 1989 film, which I was still, I'm still staggered to think that it's only available on DVD. There hasn't even been a Blu ray version of this movie yet. Word is uh, it, they're making a 4K release. They're working on a th- 4K version of the film because it's the 30th anniversary. So it was released in 19. 19- so 30 years later, we're going to get the 4K, finally a 4K version and a Blu-ray version. But at, at the moment, all we had was the DVD. And this is one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. So I thought, I'm going to, let the, I'm going to test out the LG with this and see how well it can enhance this DVD. And I've got to say, I was really surprised uh, what it did. What the processor does, it looks at various things. It looks at contours it looks at noise it looks at edges it does all these things 
to optimize on the go. That's how smart it is. So there were. This is a film that's ninety nine percent underwater. So for us, there's a little some background noise. So that's picture noise. There's also some blurred edges, and and this TV actually improved on that image. It didn't make it four K brilliant quality, but I've got to say it was a distinct improvement on what we had before. So it was sharper, slightly brighter look as well. There was also some some sort of picture, the colour banding as well, a lot of underground underwater scenes where it, when the, there's a bright image sort of fading to black, you see the banding on some parts, and, and that was eliminated as well in those underwater scenes. So it, a great result, that really tested out this processor, and I've got to say I was surprised with the results there. So, But naturally... Playing Blu-ray and 4K, it's a lot easier to optimize that quality because it is better quality. Uh, but the other thing that we tested, though, was the AI brightness adjustment. Now, one thing uh, that, if depending on how you watch, where your TV is located at home, is it in a bright room, is it in a dark room? And it, before this... There was no way for the TV to adjust. You just had to hope that it was there was no reflections and that it looked good. Well, with the new LG, uh, the the C9 OLED with this Alpha 9 Gen 2 processor, there's also AI brightness control as well. So what happens? The TV, depending on the ambient light conditions, can draw more detail from the darker scenes in a film. Now, we tested this out with Solo, the Star Wars film, and a lot of dark scenes in that film as well. And what we did to exaggerate the test here was shine a light, our smartphone torch, into the sensor, which is just below the center of the, of the TV. And what we saw in real time was this detail being drawn out of those dark scenes. So it sensed that there was bright light. So what it did, it enhanced the detail in the darker parts of the, of the picture so we could see better. It actually did that on the fly. So that's just an example of it adapting to your conditions. And once I took the, the torch away, it then adjusted back then to the brightness uh, and, and restored those dark details how they should be. So it really has, it's got your back depending on how you're watching the TV and where you're watching the TV, whether it's daytime, nighttime, in the midday sun, whatever you are, if there's a lot of brightness in the room, it's got your back there. So it's detected that extra light in the room. So... Very impressed there, and I've got to say that that's a, a real improvement on last year's model. The other thing, the other enhancement is the intelligence, the smarts of this TV. There's Google Assistant, so you can ask for how long is it going to take me to walk to the Harbour Bridge or how long is it going to take me to walk to Bondi Beach or whatever you want to ask it. Uh, anything about your local area, you can ask it questions. You can even ask about content. And you can might say, show me all the movies starring George Clooney. This is Google Assistant. And then in that conversation, it'll remember you're talking about George Clooney. It'll say, okay, show me the comedies. Show me the dramas. Okay, play the third one. So it, it's got this contextual conversation going on so that you are finding content without having to – the only time you've got to touch the remote is to activate the, the uh, microphone. Uh, so really intelligent there as well. What also has improved is the web OS, which is the operating system of the TV, and it too takes advantage of that AI as well. But also what it does, a great feature is uh, when you hit the home button, all the tiles appear along the bottom of all your recently viewed uh, and used apps and things. So what happens there? If, say, you've just been watching Stan or Netflix or YouTube or whatever, 
you go over the say you go over the Netflix tile and it'll immediately pop up what you were just watching, some other suggestions. So you can dive right back in or you can start another program without having to go to the Netflix app, launch it and all of that stuff. So it's say it's instantly going back to your favorite content, which is which is really cool. So another improvement there as well. The LG C9 OLED is available in three sizes. And actually, before I go on, the, that, that WebOS improvement uh, is fantastic for the 2019 TVs. But unfortunately, if you, if you bought a TV a year ago, so if you've got a 2018 TV, you can't upgrade your WebOS to do those features, unfortunately. So to have that intelligence, the added intelligence, there is voice assistant, Google assistant on the other, the 2018, but to have those other WebOS enhancements, and that AI, you just won't, you won't be able to upgrade your current TV. It's 29 TVs only and, and, and moving on into the future. The LG C9 OLED, three sizes available in 77 inch. We reviewed the 65 inch, which is the middle, the middle one. So 77, 65, which is what we saw, and 55 inch. Prices are 77 is 15,999. The 65 inch is 6,399. And the 55 inch is 3,899. So quite a difference in those three sizes in price. 65 is the sweet spot there, but that's over $6,000. So it's slightly expensive. Hopefully the, uh, the retail will will have a bit of uh, have some competitive pricing in market they're, they're recommended retail price is what I mentioned there but hopefully other the other retailers will be competitive and give uh, give some some value there to the customers but uh, a bit expensive uh, and it, the 55 inch is obviously affordable but 55 is kind of the smaller size and we're trending towards larger screens so uh, hopefully there will be some competition right there. The LG C9 OLED TV, if you want to read more about that story, you know where to go, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Our next review this week is the Nokia 8.1 smartphone. This is a mid-range device. A pretty cool mid-range performer. This one, uh, Nokia have uh, they've made a bit of a comeback here. They, they were obviously the the go-to brand many uh, many years ago when mobile phones became when we were buying our first mobile devices. But uh, now that uh, Nokia is back in Finland, uh, HMD Global has now owns the company. So Finnish company bringing Nokia home and also introducing Android to the devices. There was a period there where Nokia phone Nokia was actually owned by Microsoft for a period there. They are running Windows on their devices and of course no one nobody bought those, but now we're back with uh, Nokia devices, which have always been really well made. Their, their hardware has always been top notch, top shelf. Uh, but now they're running Android, so they're really sort of clawing back into some market share. They're actually in the top 10 brands now uh, running Android. And, and it's on the back of these devices, a device like the Nokia 8.1, which is $699, offers a lot of value in terms of features that you get, a lot of features you'll find on flagship devices, it's starting with the display. It's a 6.18-inch full HD pure display and it's got HDR10 support so a really good quality screen so that you can enjoy your content in really good quality. Uh, on the camera side you've got a dual lens Zeiss camera system so very well known brand the Zeiss uh, optics the, the lenses have always been top shelf they've had a long standing partnership with Nokia and they've brought that to this device as well. It's 20 megapixel resolution on the dual camera and it's also a 20 megapixel front facing camera as well so you 
selfies are going to look as good as your, your main images as well. Now, there was a little interesting thing I found here. When I looked this up online, I think the international version had like a notch on top, a lot like the iPhone 10 notch. But I, for the life of me, could not get that notch uh, on the on the version my review model. I think that the Australian version just never doesn't have it. I even went into to the developer settings to try to get it, but couldn't get a notch happening. But you can see there's information if you look at our photos. There's information on the left and right hand sides of the camera where the notch would be, but this display area is squared off below that. So if you want the an iPhone 10 like notch. Uh, on the Australian version, you're out of luck. I tried my best. If anyone can do it, let me know how you did it because I went into the, the developer settings, tried to get the notch happening, but wasn't to be. But that's no deal breaker by any means. Uh, the back of the device, one, one little thing, that it had a really large camera bump. You know how the lens pokes out? Uh, one of the biggest lens bumps I've seen on a device. Again, not a deal breaker if you don't mind that sort of thing. There's the fingerprint reader on the back as well. Uh, and uh, overall, design-wise, uh, looks pretty cool. There's a nice little silver band that goes around the whole device, not too thick. I like the shape of the screen. It's slightly wider than what the trend is now, is having a longer, thin phone. Uh, this is slightly wider, so it gets you a little a better aspect ratio when you're watching your content as well. Powered by the Qualcomm Snapdragon 710 processor, and even though it's a mid-range phone, it also has AI enhancement on board, and that comes into play uh, particularly with the camera. So like the Huawei devices, it can detect what it's looking at and optimize what with the mode for for you as well uh, and also that also helps with the battery efficiency too so uh, what, what I've noticed is that it does things like adjust the brightness on the fly which other other camera other phones do as well but also looks at that efficiency of the device so that you get better battery life the battery easily went through a day and a half so not quite a two-day battery but solid performance to get you through the day uh, it's running android 9 pi with android 1 so it's a very very clean system so there are a lot of android manufacturer android smartphone companies that have a lot of clutter on top what i like about the android 1 system there is no clutter it's just android so you're getting a really clean sleek operating system without too much bloatware on board. Uh, you also get two free unlimited high quality photo storage through Google Photos and the camera takes amazing images so I've got to say some quality pictures you can see some examples that I've put up on Tech Guide. beautiful colours, even uh, macro shots look really really nice uh, the greens and blues really pop as well on those images so uh, cameras are, is a really central part of the device and you will not be disappointed with the 8.1 uh, what's couple of things you don't get with the phone doesn't have wireless charging so uh can't charge it wirelessly you can only charge it through the usb-c port it's also not water resistant so don't go uh, dropping a drink on this or taking a dip or dropping it in the toilet or whatever you do do not do it with the nokia 8.1 because it ain't water resistant the nokia 8.1 priced at 699 dollars if you want to read our complete review you know where to go techguide.com.au All 
Alrighty, next up, Rode. Uh, that's an Australian microphone company. And before we talk about this product, I should let you know that I'm actually talking into the Rode Pod Mic. I'm recording this entire podcast through the Rode Pod Mic, which I will have a review up on Tech Guide shortly. But if you want to know how it sounds, well, keep listening to this podcast and that will give you a great example. But uh, at the moment, we're going to chat about, though, the Rode Wireless Microphone System, the Wireless Go. This is the world's smallest and lightest digital wireless microphone system. So ideal for content creators on the move. And uh, wireless is really handy if you're creating videos, you want to have a lapel mic and the, the other end of the, the receiver is connected to the camera. Really easy to do it. It's so small, though, that uh, the the actual transmit the transmitter can be used as a clip-on microphone. So you can actually clip the actual transmitter on your lapel, uh, or if you want to connect a lavalier microphone through the 3.5mm input, you can do that as well. But pretty small if you can clip it to your lapel and use the actual transmitter as the microphone as well. That's pretty cool. The transmitter is just 31 grams uh, and same size as the receiver. 31 grams, pairs in just three seconds. Each unit measures 44mm by 45mm by 18.5mm. So very, very small. Uh, it's got a 2.4 gigahertz digital transmission with 128-bit encryption. So what that gives you is clear transmission and clear audio, even when you're surrounded by other Wi-Fi networks. So very, uh, the interference will be minimal there. Has up to a 70-meter range, would you believe, the transmitter to the to the receiver, uh, and that's line of sight. But obviously, the shorter that distance, the better, uh, especially in built-in up Wi-Fi areas like shopping centers and hotels. I'm sure anyone who's ever used the wireless microphones have uh, heard some interference, which can be uh, not not the best result for creating your content and your audio quality there. The Wireless Go transmitter and receiver have rechargeable batteries. So forget spending big dollars on AAA and AA batteries. Rechargeable batteries and on a full charge will run. The transmitter and the receiver will run up to seven hours on a full charge, which is another excellent feature as well. Apart from the handy size, that is an excellent feature too, that rechargeable battery. They are going to be released at the end of uh, end of April, and they're going to be priced at two hundred and forty nine bucks, which is a bargain, I think. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on these to do a full review. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to read about that, the Wireless Go, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. That's the company that can protect you and your family online. We live in a world where hackers are constantly finding new ways to steal your personal information. And because we spend so much time online, it's quite possible we could find ourselves in a cyber criminal sites. The Norton team is dedicated to help keeping people safe online no matter how they connect. So whether you're paying bills on your phone, shopping on your tablet or banking on your laptop, Norton Security Premium is working hard behind the scenes to help keep your information, your identity and your devices protected. For more information on how to protect your digital life, visit au.norton.com. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. 
couple of quick questions we had on the uh, Tech Guide help desk this week. The first was from a gentleman who said, I've, I need, I've got a good idea. I don't know whether he was actually pitching me this idea or asking if there is this actually existed. But what he was asking was basically saying that the, I, I get a lot of deliveries. Uh, I, I, he had an idea and I need some advice. I have no idea where to start. Here's what I'm, what I'm thinking about. Uh, I, he says, I buy stuff online. I'm not home through the day. 90% of the time, I'm not there. And I, most of the courier services won't leave the item. I've got to get it re-delivered. My idea is to set up a secure letterbox with a smart lock that the courier driver can get an access to code to open it. Uh, and he goes on, and I, and I, my reply is, well, that act, that product actually exists. It's the Pac-Man delivery box, which we've written about on Tech Guide. So if anyone uh, is a frequent recipient of packages like I am, I get a lot of delivery products delivered here, review products, etc. Uh, the Pac-Man is outside in my on my porch, and I can tell I can direct couriers to leave it there from my ring doorbell. So I can say, "Look, and behind you is a box. I'm not home. Pop it in there, and and away you go." Now they deliver. They open up the 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 uh, the top half of the box. So sort of this lid pulls out, and they can put the parcel in. Once they shut the door, it's securely delivered inside inside the Pac-Man. And then when you get home, there's a combination box on the bottom there that allows you then to open the box without a key. So you might set your little combination, a three-digit combination, and then your stuff's delivered. And it's sitting inside that box until you open it with the combination. It's secure. So no need to have to get uh, you out of what you we missed you card down to the post office. The Pac-Man has got your has got your back right there, and I, I use it uh, every day. The postman and the other courier companies uh, they know that if I'm not home, that it can go in there, and there is a little um, a QR code on the front that can actually, they can scan to say that delivery has been accepted. Uh, not all courier companies are compatible with that system, but I'm sure there'll be uh, some courier companies just say, they, they just tick their own box to say, yes, it was delivered. They know my name because it's on the parcel and away we go. So that's one way of doing it. Uh, so yeah, Tim, thank you for your suggestion, but mate, someone's already got ahead of you with that product. Uh, my next question was from Shannon, and uh, she was asking, or he, I don't know whether that's a male or female, Shannon was asking about a GPS tracker for their autistic child, and they were looking at, they wanted something that was uh, had a geofencing, GPS tracking, waterproof, SOS alarm, and the so advice we gave, and this ticks all the boxes, is the Alcatel Family Watch. We wrote about Family Watch in early March, and it is a 3G device, but it has the geofencing, so you can know exactly where your child... You can know... Well, GPS location, so you know exactly where your child is. Geofencing, so you know when uh, they enter or leave a certain area. So one certain, one area could be your home. The other area could be school or daycare or, or grandma's house. And it also has the ability for you to uh, contact your child and for them to contact up to five people. And also uh, has the SOS uh, feature as well. So if they press and hold a button, that, that that's an SOS as well. Uh, it's being sold through Vodafone with no locking contracts, 180 bucks, and you can then buy a $10 a month plan that gives you one gig of data, unlimited talk of text, talk and text, and one gig of data. Shannon, that's the answer there. The Alcatel Family Watch, all of those products that we spoke about on the help desk, we've written about at techguide.com.au.
And that is our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Everything that we've spoken about, of course, you can check out at techguide.com.au. You can read those stories at your leisure. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, be part of the help desk, you can send us a voice bite. So head to Tech Guide, press on the mic button in the middle of the site there. Rather than writing your question, you can record your question and we'll play your voice right beside ours on the Tech Guide podcast. You want to send us an email, we'll look at those as well. Info at techguide.com.au is where you need to send them. A special thanks too to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thank you once again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.